Welcome to another inspirational teaching from the Neighborhood Church. We pray that you be blessed by it. You guys all look great tonight, by the way. Well done on the effort. Really dressed it up. It's good. Everyone looks happy. I like your hat very much. Welcome. My name's Michael. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And I get the privilege this evening of talking to you about Jesus and delving into the Word of God. So why don't we, um, why don't we pray and get started? So Father, we are ever so thankful that we get this opportunity, that we can come together to talk about you, to worship you, to fellowship with one another. Lord, would you teach us from your word tonight how to be more like your son? Would you coach our hearts, our spirits, our souls? Would you speak to us tonight in a way you've never spoken before? We just open our hearts to you tonight, Lord, and we, uh, we just ask you to bless this time together. In your powerful name, amen. So, we're going to be talking tonight from the book of Romans. Um, if you're new to the neighborhood church, you will hear that a lot. It's good for you. So if you have a Bible tonight, I want you to go to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I'll even give you like four seconds to get there. Romans chapter 12. We're going to be heading for verses 9 and 10. I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read from the NIV to get started, and then we'll look at a couple of different versions in a moment. Romans 12, verses 9 and 10. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. If you are a note taker, tonight's message will be called Second Fiddle. And you'll see why in a few moments. Second Fiddle. We're going to be talking through Romans chapter 12 about the power of a transformed mind. The power of a transformed mind. I'm reading a book right now. Well, not really. It's not true. I'm listening to a book being read to me right now. I don't know if you do that, like the whole audible thing, because you have a long commute and it's better to not just waste your time doing nothing. And so you throw on a, a book that... It's not super important, but it's still something you wanted to read anyway. So I'm, I'm doing um, Marie Kondo's book on tidying up. And um, it's really good, but really horrible, both at the same time. It's really good because it tells me everything I need to do better in life, but it's really horrible because it reminds me of all the things that I'm not doing well in life, like um, tidying up. And so we, we've even watched the Netflix specials that she has on. About, she goes into these people's homes, and um, 
She tells them how to, like, throw out all the things they own and own nothing. And then with the four things you do have left, how to put them in order and put them into drawers. So it's, it's kind of fun to, to watch other people fail, I guess, and compare them to your own life and how much better you're doing at tidying up than they are. And so I've even started, there's like this whole system of like how to fold your shirts and put them away in a drawer. So I, I, has anyone seen this? Please help me. Okay, good. I thought it was the only one. Okay, so I've been doing the folding of the shirts and having them in a little stack and then they stand up, it really does work. And so I've got them in my drawers, but the problem is now that I have all the shirts standing up in a drawer as opposed to laying flat, I have a whole lot of empty drawers. And so I just started putting random things in the drawers that used to be on shelves, cluttering the shelves. Yeah, you see the problem. So in, instead of actually um, decluttering before I started tidying, which is the whole premise of the book and the show, um, all I've really done is moved things off of the shelves, put them in drawers, and retained the same amount of clutter. Yeah, but it's still there. And so it's kind of frustrating because then my wife goes and opens the dresser and says, why is there all of this random garbage in your drawers? My drawers are full and you won't give me your drawers. I'm like, that's correct. I, you don't get them until you start folding your clothes properly. Would you guys like to listen in on our marital fight right now? Would you like a microphone? I think I hear Ida. In Christianity, we do this. We do the same thing, not fight. Well, we do that. But we try to, we try to stick our garbage in drawers and pretend that we've dealt with it. I've dealt with it. I can't see it right now. Therefore, it's gone, it has been dealt with, and um, I don't have to deal with it until someone walks along and perhaps opens a drawer and realizes that all I've done is stuffed down all my emotional baggage and all of my problems into this little tiny compartment of my life that you won't see until it gets pushed on or pulled on. We do this in our, in our inner man, with our, our mind, our soul, our spirit, with our attitudes, our sin, our theology, our finance issues, our relationship issues. And we're going to be looking for the next couple weeks at Romans 12 because it shows us the power of cleaning up, not just organizing who we are. And if you're here tonight and maybe you aren't so sure about your place with Jesus and some of those concepts of dealing with sin and things like that, you're, you're like, eh. The good news is we all could use tidying up in many areas of our lives. You don't have to be tight with Jesus to work on your nonsense. I think that's a healthy place to be. So the whole concept of decluttering your home is kind of fueled by a need or a desire for more peace. Peace in your home, peace in your career, peace with your friends. Much like how decluttering 
our insides is fueled by something a little different. It's, it's fueled by love when we do it through Christ. It's fueled by love for our neighbors, for our Jesus, for even for ourselves. We're told by Jesus that the, the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment of all, disciples came and said, what is the greatest commandment? Tell us, tell us just what is the greatest commandment you can give us right now? And he's like, well, actually, there's two. So love the Lord your God with, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And um, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So that's a pretty big box to put yourself in, to, to check off, okay, I'm doing the loving God thing good. I, I go to church, I tithe, I, I give time to kids, men, I brought some dog food. So I'm doing well. But then um, this whole love my neighbor, so you guys for me, and if you look to your left, and go ahead, try it, look to your left, and look to your right, that's your neighbor. So um, you need to love that guy or that gal as much as you love yourself. That's, um, that's a good push, Jesus, and um, kind of impossible. Kind of impossible. Like, I really like Barry, but I, I still prefer myself. And, and like Sean, I, I like Sean a lot, but I like myself more. And so there, like, there's these tensions. It's like, well, how do we walk that out? How do you walk that out in Scripture? And so I'm so glad Paul brings this to light. Is, okay, this is what Jesus is talking about. Let's talk through this. This is how we're going to do it. And so he gives us this walkthrough that we just read. And we go, into, we go into Romans 12, and we start learning this stuff that sounds a whole lot like the Sermon on the Mount. With mutual love, sympathy, honor, forgiveness. A couple of different versions might help a little bit too. The first one is this. This is from the message. Slide. Yeah. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on to dear life. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply, practicing second fiddle. Practice second fiddle. Next. So the Passion Translation. Let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another and never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Check this, though. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. And then the last one. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. This is, 
this is a huge chunk of statements. It sounds like a lot of work, because it's not natural, at least not for me. Being devoted to practicing second fiddle. There's two routes that I've seen in my life to achieving this whole brotherly love thing. There's two routes. The first route is you can try, as Paul says, to try and to practice honoring and loving those around you. Doing what you can to, to access those places of love in your heart and honor them. Honor the people beside you. Honor, honor even the people who you have tension with. Find those people and, and specifically try to honor them. So that's route number one. Route number two that I have learned myself is the harder way. And um, that's having to be corrected. I'm going to tell you a story in a few minutes that will take us back about 12 years. And during this time frame, there, there was two terms that kept coming up from my, uh, my pastor and boss. And the terms were um, to practice a, a lifestyle of fasting my reputation. It's always good when your senior pastor tells you that you need to learn how to do that as a support staff. And, and I learned a lot about the concept of the upside-down kingdom of God, where titles and fame are absolutely silly. If we consider even into the Old Testament, I'm doing a read-through right now with a few people of, of the scriptures, and, and just coming out of the Old Testament, I remember thinking the, the silliness of the kings, the silliness of the kings. The whole idea to have a king over Israel that wasn't God, that was, a, that was a man-made construct. That was us saying, we need a ruler like the other nations have rulers. We, we need the, the structures of society into our religion in order for it, it to make sense to us. And the same thing goes with, with fame and the same thing goes with position. In the kingdom of God, those are really silly things. We're sure we have the, the fivefold, we have of, of pastors and teachers, and church needs order in order to run, but the whole ladder climbing for opinion, the ladder climbing for fame, the ladder climbing that we need structure, that's us doing that. That's not on God. We pushed him into that. I want to tell you the story here. Where are we at for time? We're all right. We are all right for time. I'll tell you the condensed story. Um, many years ago, 12-ish, 12-ish years, I was a youth pastor. And um, during that time, I worked at a, uh, another multi-staff church, and I worked for a um, very, very good man. And uh, his name was Ken. And... Uh, I was reminded of this story and just kind of reflecting on the scriptures because we, we went back home last weekend and uh, just kind of on a whim, we're like, you know what? 
we can catch the second half of the service where Pastor Ken works. Let's go see if we can, like, if he's even there this weekend. This would be fantastic. And um, so we, we kind of roll in a little bit late because um, when you work at a church and you don't have to be there on time, you, you're extra late, and then I understand why you guys always show up late. And I, I understand. It'd be better if we all did better, but, you know. And so we rolled in late for church, and, and uh, it was a weekend where um, Pastor Ken was tag team preaching with one of the other guys there, and um, it, did, it did my heart well to see him get up on stage, look over at the back row where we were hiding, and um, a giant smile come on his face. And it's so seeing him smiling reminded me of this story and uh, I believe the Lord wanted me to share this tonight as we talk about brotherly love. So I, I worked with Pastor Ken for quite a while. And um, he was always very patient and kind with youth pastors. When we would uh, have emergency services show up multiple times a weekend, um, almost burning the building down, like normal youth pastor things. Um, I, I would say that Ethan is far more successful than I was because he hasn't attempted to burn the building down since I've been here anyway. So, well done. As far as I know. Do we need to talk later? So I worked for Pastor Ken and was doing youth and young adult ministries. And um, to me... What was success was numbers and numbers. And so things were good. Our, our youth group was quite large. Um, I'd say about 95% of them were involved in small groups. Uh, outreaches were phenomenal, just community known. Even our, um, our young adult gatherings that we would do on evening weekends um, got to the point where uh, it was pushing on the same numbers as Sunday mornings. I think things were good. The worship culture was amazing. The preaching team was good. Uh, everything looked the way it should. Everything was perfect. Even had like a, a boatload of interns running around doing our bidding for us. We did, uh, we did our best to emulate what we thought a successful youth young adult program should and would look like. Um, but the outside success of that was pushing on my character, we will say. And in ministry and in our lives, you will have two different seasons. They don't often intersect. They sometimes do, but more often than not, you will have seasons where God is working on your character, and you'll have seasons where God is working on your calling. I thought... I was in a calling season where God was sharpening my skills and my anointings and, and working on me on that level. But what he was really doing was setting me up for a character season. The character season came when we had a new hire at the church. Uh, we were growing at a good rate um, with our programming, and um, so we brought in a new, a new associate. And... Um, the new associate comes in, and um, it started pushing pretty quickly on my character. 
or lack thereof, because um, we'll call him Dave, because I don't have his permission on this. So Dave was a better preacher than I was, um, better musician, really good worship leader, uh, way more prophetic than I, and a great leader in general. And a little bit of competition started rising up in me. And I, I found myself saying things like, but, but don't you know what I've done for this church over the last seven, eight years? Like, why would you prefer him over me? I, I don't understand. And competition in ministry is particularly ugly. Um, mostly because it was a one-way competition. Um, I was competing against him, and he really didn't care that I was competing against him. Um, so it was actually probably a good thing that he was oblivious to that at first. But it began to cultivate a, um, a pretty severe negativity between the two of us. And it was, um, Bob Goff said, if it makes a great TV program, it makes a lousy relationship. And I would say that is the territory that Dave and I fell into. I remember there were staff meetings where we would yell at each other over nothing, like things that absolutely don't matter, like who got to do the devotional in the bulletin that week, or like just things that don't matter at all, or the curriculum for the interns. Like, well, these are my interns. How dare you tell me what they should be reading? You know, like just nonsense like that out of my mouth. And it got to the point where Pastor Ken would start every single staff meeting. He didn't miss one. He would start every single staff meeting. Got the kids guys there, like interns are there, the whole, the whole works. And Dwight would sit in, uh, sorry, Dave would sit on one end and I would sit on the other. And um, Pastor Ken would sit there and say, so, I just want to teach you guys from the scripture about preferring one another. Every week, Pastor Ken would start teaching us about preferring one another, about brotherly love. And then he would have these long, long pauses where he would just look at us and wait for us to say something. We never did. It got to the point where we let our attitudes and our desires to be right, I believe what we let it do was short circuit something amazing that God wanted to do through that church. Because I wouldn't love him. I wouldn't activate these verses we're looking at. I couldn't look at Romans 12 and say, yeah, I feel like that towards Dave. And I wouldn't even try. I have never told that story publicly, so please just bear with me on the humility in that. I want to tell you three things that I learned through this. 
what got me to the place where it became a whole lot easier to prefer somebody other than myself. It was not an easy journey for me. Because when you come out of something like that, the lack of humility in my life was quite humiliating, to be honest with you. There's three things I learned out of this situation. Here's the first one. It highlights our need for internal decluttering. Highlights our need for internal decluttering. I found that there was emotions of unrest, sleeplessness, feeling that something is always wrong. And what the big thing the Lord taught me in this time frame in my life out of Matthew 5:44 back to the sermon on the mount parallels is that you can't be praying for somebody especially someone who persecutes you even though he wasn't it was all in my head without having the lord soften your heart it's impossible and that's part of preferring someone in love is to be able to pray for them and be able to like accept that there are good things that God wants to do in their life. That's huge. And it's hard to get to that place, especially when you feel like they've wronged you or, or their intention with you in some way. It is hard to pray for them. It is hard to say, God, you know, would you just, would you just bless Dave? Would you bless his family, his ministry? That's something at that point in my life I wasn't willing to do, but I had to learn to do it so that I could grow up. And it was a very hard lesson to learn. The second thing is this, is that it actually helps you adult by not getting your own way. And there's two books. Um, next point, please. There's two books that Pastor Ken gave me to read during this time frame. And I still come back to them on a regular basis because I, I found them help me in immense ways. The first one is Tale of Three Kings. It's the story of Saul, Paul. And to me, it was the story of how Solomon could even succeed because of how uh, sorry, David and Saul. It's a story like how Solomon could succeed because of what David did and how to prefer others above yourselves. And the second book he gave me was called The Rewards of a Fasting Lifestyle. And there was one section in that book that changed my life forever in this whole area of loving people above myself. It was this, this little section in there that talked about fasting your reputation. I had never heard that before. The concept of fasting your reputation. Like, why can't I just fast food? Like, that's easy. 
I can just do that. I, I, I see the clarity that comes from that immediately. And, and I, I feel the, the, like the, the wisdom that comes from fasting. But there, there's this beautiful thing about fasting our reputation that really helps us love people around us. It helps us learn how to not fight back and know that it's okay to know you're right, but at the same time, just let someone else be right. That's okay. And I think for me, one of the big things that I had to learn was that God entrusts us with his reputation. For God to entrust us on planet Earth with his reputation, that says a lot. And if I'm running around like a jerk, treating guys like Dave, like he's a jerk, that's not doing a very good job with God's reputation. That's actually failing. And the third thing is this. It establishes collaborative relationships. Collaborative relationships. One of, um, one of the guys that has coached me over the years, he used to say that um, when I, whenever I'd ask his opinion on something, like, hey, you know, what would you, what would you do with this scripture? What would you do with this situation? Or, like, can you help me walk through this? Please, please, please. And um, he would always look at me and say, Michael, I want my ceiling to be your floor of where you can go. At first, I, I thought that it was just like his floofy spiritual nonsense because he was one of those guys. Um, he went through a phase. I love this guy dearly, but he went through a phase where um, he kissed everybody. And it was really weird. You're like, oh, hi, pastor. You know, it's good to see you at this event. And he's like, oh, Michael, come here, come here. Like, fist bump. It's awkward, man. But if we can get to a place where we, we real, and, and he's a giant man too, like, like Pastor John giant, but I hope Pastor John never tries to kiss me. <laughs> but that big, big dude. But if we can get that understanding in our heads that, you know, for the people around us, for our brothers in arms, our, our sisters in the faith, you know, we want to make, as far as we can go, our ceiling should be the floor of where we help you get to. Like, that should be just the beginning. And I've carried that, that concept with me for many, many years. It was even the... Erwin um, uh, McManus has a, a podcast called The Battle Ready Podcast, and it's a, about church creatives. And one of the things that he talks about, him and his son talked about this on the one, I think, two ago, how their church is, is very, very key on creative stuff. Like... Their conference posters and sermon posts, like it's just beautiful stuff. And so they have this whole creative staff that, that gets together and that this is their job that they sit there and they work on all this stuff together. And it got to the point where, where everyone was kind of vying for like, okay, who gets the Instagram credit for that and who gets the poster credit for that because like Adidas and Nike are coming and they, they're stealing our ideas. So, you know, we want jobs out of this. So how do, how do we get more credits? 
And so they come to this place where nobody gets credit. There's now no credit. It is just from the church. That's it. It is MSC creative. Like, well, well, who took the great picture that is being used for all the... No, it doesn't matter. The team came up with that. And they were laughing about it because they were, they were sitting there talking about the conference that this was being recorded at and how Irwin walked into the conference and um, there was no indication that he was even the pastor of the church. There was no indication of the worship leaders. There, it was just this whole, nope, this is us. They took the all-stars completely out of the situation and said, no, this is, this is just MSC, this is just us. That really spoke to me. It was um, about a year and a half ago. We were still living in Medicine Hat. And we used to do um, prayer weekends. And um, sometimes it would just be like our local guys, or, or sometimes it would just be like a Jason Upton DVD, because <laughs> we couldn't afford to bring anyone in because we were a church point. But one of the last ones we did, um, I called Dave. And um, I said, hey, buddy. I know things always haven't been amazing with us, but will you come? Will you come back to Medicine Hat? Will you come to the church plant? Will you do a weekend with us? Worship, prophetic ministry, do some teaching. Will, will you come? And... Um, he said he'd get back to me, and rightfully so. But he texted about a week later and said, yeah, I'm, I'll be glad to be there. And so Dave came, and he brought his whole family, and um, it was so good to see them all. And coming through the door was Pastor Ken. So Dave and I are standing there, actually having a civil conversation about the Lord. And Pastor Ken comes over, looks at us, and says, you know, this is all I actually wanted. <laughs> and we had probably one of the most fruitful weekends of ministry in our church plant that we ever did. It was phenomenal. The lives that got changed and touched there's just such an amazing spirit of peace and joy on the house that weekend. It was incredible what God did. Sometimes, even when you don't want to, you have to prefer people you don't necessarily agree with. You don't necessarily like, and it's okay. And we're going to mess up because we're people. But like Paul said, try. Why don't you try? Try to prefer one another in love. Try to put someone above you. Try to practice playing second fiddle. And I'm so glad that I 
went through that good weekend with, with Dave and Ken. And it made me wish that I was more of an adult as opposed to an adolescent in the beginning. Because God could have done something massive in that church during that time. But I got in the way. Because I wouldn't prefer him over myself. So why is there power in preferring the success of others around us above ourselves? Why? Because the more transformed our heart and our mind, the closer you can come to living up to your Christ-like potential. We can live out what's on the inside. We were created, as Scripture tells us, in the image of God. The emotional, peaceful, humble, collected image of Christ. And it's how we respond to life that really depicts on how we're going to get through that. Do you guys stand with me this evening? We're going to pray for two things, and then I'm going to pass the stage off. We'll take a raffle to see who wants to come up next. Seems like the godly thing to do. It's a joke. You can still laugh in the presence of God. It's all right. It's going to have Victoria come and play guitar here lightly for me. A psalmist minstrel, if you will. Now the Lord can speak because there's a minstrel. I just invite you guys to close your eyes. If you... Um, if you're here tonight and the story I shared resonates with you and you're like, yeah, I've, I've walked through something similar. I am walking through that. I, I don't want to walk through that. And you, you just feel your, your heart softening before the Lord tonight. And you, you just want to bring it to him. If that's you tonight, I just want to pray over you. Just to, we're just all standing together as brothers and sisters in the presence of God. And secondly, I'm going to pray this evening. If, you, if you've come and you've experienced the love of God in your heart tonight, and you know that's something you need to make a move on and deepen in your heart, maybe you need to make a decision to follow him for the very first time, to get some clarity and make things right. I'm going to pray for you as well tonight. But firstly, if you're in that first category and there's a softening happening and the Lord is speaking to your heart, just with everyone's eyes closed, just um, if you just slip a hand up and I'll pray for you. that you're softening us, that you are, you are making us more like you by even revealing these things to our, our insides. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for it. But I just pray, Lord, where we've, we've 
we've said the wrong thing, we've done the wrong thing, where we've, we've harbored thoughts that aren't ours, where we've, we've let them grow, where we've let situations get out of control. Just as my friends have identified this tonight, we just repent of that tonight, God, and we give it to you. And we thank you that you are our God and we are your people. We thank you that you make us more like you. We thank you that you make us more like your son. Thank you for that example. Thank you for the beauty of that. And we just declare peace to your hearts tonight. We just prophetically declare peace in Jesus' name. And for some of you, you might actually audibly have to say, I accept peace in my heart. I feel like some of you feel like there's a bit of a barrier there tonight. Just, just go ahead and say that. I accept peace into my heart. I accept peace into my heart. I accept peace into my heart. And secondly, this evening, if you're here tonight and you know that you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's something you've never started. Maybe it's something you threw away. But you know that there is change that needs to happen. Don't let an opportunity like this slip you by. Something beautiful about the accepting love of Jesus Christ. It changes everything that's you tonight, I just want you just to, to slip up a hand. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. Jesus. So church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you guys in a prayer. I just want you to pray after me. like this because it gives encouragement to those around us. But Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for walking in sin. I'm sorry for not walking beside you. from this moment on. Would you guide and direct my life? In Jesus' name, amen. We know you enjoyed this teaching from the Neighborhood Church from our Pine House location here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. To touch base with us from anywhere in the world that you're listening, or maybe you're just at the gym or in your car, you can text the word Pine House to 306 800 5296. 